Hello out there, I am Julian Rushbrook, your host for History Most Queer. I hope that all of you are having a lovely History Hump Day. June is fast approaching, and for many of us, that means that Pride festivities are about to begin. But we can't talk about June yet. We still have to close out the month of May. So for this week's episode, we will continue our recognition of AAPI, Asian American, and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. In this episode, we will have to go back into the murky mists of time and across the Pacific Ocean to the archipelago of Japan, for it is there where we find beings of mystery and myth. In Japan, queerness has historical roots. The samurai, who were normally men, would often take other men as their lovers, and nobody batted an eyelash at that as gender fluidity and homoeroticism was weaved throughout the tales and legends of this land. I thought we could look at a few subjects in particular that happen to have some queer-leaning aspects to their stories. A trio of kami, named Tenjin, Amatarasu Omakami, and Inari Okami. Then we can round everything out by talking about Kitsune. Kitsune actually has a very important connection to Inari Okami. So let's jump right in. Shinto is the indigenous set of religious and cultural beliefs that belonged to Japan before even the introduction of Buddhism, Taoism, and Confucianism. Perhaps the most iconic symbol of Shinto is the Tori. It is a traditional gate at the entrance to a shrine. Once you walk through the gate, you are entering a sacred space. Since time immemorial, the Japanese have revered and worshipped the kami. I suppose if you've never heard of the kami or the Shinto belief system, the best way to describe them would be that they are deities. Much like deities in other faiths, the kami are often connected to specific natural phenomena. The kami were present in the culture's creation stories and even have connections to the emperor. Now, not all of the aspects of Shinto are so grand, however. Great temples are not the only places that mark their presence in the country. Individual homes may often have a small domestic altar as well. In this way, the kami are at once personal as well as grand. When a loved one dies, they can become a kami. And this is why the honoring of ancestors is so important in Japan. Shinto, like all faiths, is not static. It changes with time and becomes influenced by the culture around it. For instance, Buddhism has influenced various aspects from how kami are represented to even what it is that a kami would be a patron of. Likewise, an individual's interpretation of various things may differ from person to person. Shinto has no centralized dogma or tenets. 
a person's own introspection and intellect are needed to try and come to a satisfactory understanding of oneself and one's place in the world. Thousands of different folk traditions are a part of the belief system. There are 12 government registered sects, but several others that are unregistered. This has allowed for a wide variety of worship practices. Since there's no centralized authority, each shrine might be an authority of its patron kami, but even within that shrine, individual priests may have differing views regarding all manner of aspects of the faith and the kami. There are a few kami I would like to focus on today. Of course, the reason being is that these kami are a little bit queer. Like in many faiths and ancient myths, spirits and the divine are often not constrained by gender, sex, or species, for that matter. The first kami were agender. Later ones were represented only as male, but still managed to have a sex life, despite there being no women kami. So methinks that they were getting it on with other male kami. But it really probably is best to think of kami in general as agender. It's really just us mere mortals who ascribe gender to these divine beings in the first place. Shinto has traditionally been accepting of queerness. It was not until contact with Europe and reforms in the Meiji period that same-sex love and the cornucopia of gender expression were looked down upon. As I said before, Shinto is not static, and the pendulum is starting to swing back again. LGBTQIA plus priests practice openly, for instance. So let's, let's jump into our little kami. The first kami that we'll talk about is a sky god named Tenjin. The big blue is not the only thing that he cares for either. He is the patron of the intelligentsia and loves academics and learning. I have a feeling that a not insignificant number of Japanese school children may beg their parents to make a little pilgrimage to his temples, especially around test-taking time. <laughs> Originally, this deity was associated with natural disasters for a few centuries before changing his attentions to scholarly pursuits. I suppose we've all met somebody who was a bit of a disaster area as a youth, but then transformed into a bright and brilliant student later on. This is partly due to Tenjin being based upon a real scholar from the 9th century, Sugawara no Michizeni. His first poem was written at the age of 11. And this is the poem. How beautiful the red plum blossom. I wish to color my cheek with it. It's short and sweet. And from that, he would rise high in the imperial court, become, becoming one of two top ministers to the emperor himself. The other top official did not exactly like him. Was it the poetry? Who knows? But that guy was not having any of Michizani. His rival was able to see to it that he was exiled to the island of Kyushu, and shortly he died after his expulsion. Due to this dishonor by his rival, his funeral was only attended by a few people. His coffin was carried on the back of an ox. 
As the funeral cortege made its way to his final resting place, the ox stopped dead in its tracks and could not be coaxed to walk any further. In exasperation, the attendants just decided to dig the man's grave right there on the spot, which to this day is a shrine to the kami. Michizani would have his revenge, however, as the capital of Kyoto was beset with disasters. Floods caused by torrential rain and fires ignited by powerful lightning strikes were deduced by the court to have been caused by his vengeful spirit. To appease this angry spirit, the emperor destroyed the order of exile and restored all of the honors and the position of the ghostly scholar, and then named this spirit Tenjin. In time, the new kami was less and less associated with all of those disasters, and shifted his focus to his other pursuits. He's often associated with plums and oxen due to his poetry and the incident with the ox at his funeral. Not only did this kami protect scholars, but he also did so for the romance between two men. I mean, this should be no real surprise. He wanted his cheeks to be the color of flower blossoms, after all. This would be good news for samurai, but also to gay monks as well. They would have even more going for them as they were involved in learning and scholarship. You can rest easy if you show proper respect and pray to Tenjin for good grades and a good boyfriend. This kami will have your back. Just remember that he happens to wield, wield lightning bolts as well, so only ask for a boyfriend if you don't already have one. I could find no information on if he was down with thruples, so I would not take any chances. Let's not have him return to being a natural disaster deity. The next kami that I'd like to look at is Amaterasu Amakami, and is often re represented as feminine. She's one of the major kami, being the goddess of the sun and the universe. Her, her parents are Inazagi, the creator god, and his sister-slash-wife, Izanami, who is also a creator goddess, as well as the goddess of death. It's kind of similar to how the ancient Greek pantheon was led by Zeus and his sister-wife Hera. Together, the two creators would have three children. Amatarasu, and the sun and universe goddess, her sister, Tsukiyomi, the moon goddess, and their brothers, Hiruko, the god of fishermen, often referred to as the laughing god, and lastly, Susanu, who was the god of storms. The three precious children, which is all capitalized there, you know, um, and a name given to three of these children, were Amatarasu, Tsukiyomi and Susanu. I guess Hiroku was apparently not precious as he was born without bones and so was cast into the sea. It's kind of a long story but needless to say he eventually got bones and became in time the god of good luck. So even if his parents didn't exactly consider him precious it worked out for him. There are other stories that include a fifth child but really it's not all that necessary to go into that particular story at the moment, except to say that the fifth child caused the death of the mother goddess. With Izanami's death, 
the storm god, Susanu, was extremely upset and was crying all of the time. Inazagi, the father god, had had enough with all of this crying and kicked his son out of his realm. So, on his way to say goodbye to his older sister, she appeared before him as a male in armor. Susanu made a pledge to the armor-clad Amatarasu, and the two each took an item from each other. And sometimes this item is represented as a sword. And they took these and chewed them up and spit the items out. These chewed-up bits transformed into other kami. Five gods and three goddesses were brought into existence. Amatarasu took the male deities to raise as her own and gave the female deities to her brother. But apparently it was the other way around as to who produced who. This really angered Susanu, as he claimed that the males were his and decided to throw an absolutely divine tantrum, destroying fields and even taking a shit in her house. All that insanity was easy enough for the sun goddess to forgive, although I'm not sure why, but the last straw was when her brother tossed a flayed horse through her roof. Needless to say, she was finished with all of this foolishness. Susanu did not stop there, however, walking now into her house and taking another shit, but this time in one of her chairs. She decided to flee, being disgusted by all of his disrespect. So Amaterasu went to hide in a cave and sealed up the entrance. But once this happened, that also meant that the daylight was gone. The world was suddenly plunged into darkness, and the other kami knew that they had to get her out of that cave. Demons rose up from the depths and caused even more mayhem than Susanu when he was shitting everywhere and tossing mutilated horses about all willy-nilly. Begging and pleading would not coax the great goddess out, but it was decided the best way to do so would be to harm her ego. They stood around the blocked entrance to the cave and made sure to speak with each other such that the entombed Amatarasu could hear. They seemed to be having a party, at least that's what she's heard. Loudly, they declared that life was so much better now without the sun goddess. After all, a deity far more powerful and magnificent had arrived on the scene. Who wanted to deal with the sun anymore anyhow? Well, that sure piqued her uh, curiosity. As she pulled aside the stone that sealed up her cave, the other Kami presented her with a mirror. When she saw her brilliant reflection, she was fooled into thinking that her eyes were actually showing her this new and approved god that they had all been so happy about. With her being distracted by her reflection, one of the other Kami grabbed her hand and another sealed up the cave with a rope. Light was now brought back into the world. Susanu was finally properly expelled landing on Earth as punishment for his wild behavior. But don't feel too bad for this shitty storm god. Even though he was not hanging out with his divine homies any longer, he did meet the woman that would become his wife. I really have a lot of questions for her. I mean, does he behave like he did at his sister's at their house? I would not have that in mind, that's for sure. There are other stories about Amatarasu. 
one tale tells just why the night and day are divided. But needless to say, that's a, another sibling that our lovely sun goddess would have some beef with. Another is a legend that has her giving uh, the throne to the first emperor of Japan, who happened to be a great-great-and-so-on grandson of hers. Really, though, we're all here for the queer stuff. I mean, I know I hooked everyone with the shitting storm god, but let's get to the real beyond meat and potatoes. Was this goddess a lesbian? Or would we think of her as a bit more transgender in her way of appearing as male before her brother? I think it might be best to say that she is at the very least asexual, as she remained a virgin goddess her whole life, or whatever it is you call a god's existence. There are other sources that claim that she was bisexual, but again, she kept that social construct called virginity intact. Wait a minute, you may be asking yourself. Cool, she was bisexual, but how can she be a virgin and have a several times over great-grandchild? To quote another queer icon, it's just a kind of magic. Inari Okami is another kami that plays around with gender. Sometimes they will appear as a young woman, and other times as an older man. Still, on other occasions, the deity will appear as an androgynous bodhisattva. Um, it is the kami of rice and foxes. Likewise, sake, tea, and agriculture in general fall under this kami's wheelhouse. An interesting aspect of Inari is that Inari can often be seen as three or even five deities. I suppose it would be similar to how in Christianity three individuals make up the singular god. I guess you just have to suspend a bit of disbelief and to quote another queer icon, have a little faith, faith, faith. So Inari came into the scene during a time of terrible famine in Japan. Japan was a swampy mess in this ancient time, and so Inari, while riding on the back of a white fox, carried grain to help end the terrible famine. So it makes sense that agriculture, rice, and sake would fall into her purview. Now, I just referred to Inari as a her. When this particular kami appears one way or another, it's probably best to refer to her, him, or them as whatever it is that they appear as. I would not worry about messing up, though. Inari seems like a pretty awesome deity. After all, as a she, she ended a cataclysmic famine. Likewise, Inari is not the only queer deity in their family. There is a nephew, Oyamakai, who is a trans man who dwells on a mountain and protects hunters and women in childbirth. As well as appearing as different genders, or even genderless, Inari doesn't just stick to the appearance of a human visage. Sometimes they'll appear as a fox, a snake, or even a dragon. A matarasu also would sometimes take on the appearance of a snake or a dragon. Perhaps the most creepy appearance was how, in one tale, Inari manifested as an enormous spider to deal with a particularly evil man. I'm thinking something along the lines of that giant spider in Lord of the Rings. Forgive me if any listener out there is a fan of arachnids. I'm doing my best to be a recovering arachnophobe. I put the little weird guys outside now rather than squishing them. 
and I haven't intentionally done so in years, which is probably a good thing. What if that spider was the goddess of rice and sake? I love both of those things. Inari does have some interesting objects that are often associated with them. Obviously, rice or bags of grain would be objects that are often found to be connected to them. As mentioned before, foxes are connected, but so are magical wishing stones. I need to find some of those wish-fulfilling stones, I know that. A sword, but also a whip, is carried by Inari. Now, <laughs> this whip is not exactly a kinky thing for the kami, as it's rarely used as punishment, but Inari has used it to burn fields of rice. So again, no killing of spiders or foxes. This kami is not only found in Shinto, but has spread into some forms of Buddhism. In Japan, there are over 30,000 shrines to this one kami. Everyone seems to have a personal connection to, and even conception of, Inari. This probably explains the abundance of shrines and the popularity of this deity. There's even a type of sushi named after for the, this kami, and it's made with fried tofu and rice. I'm definitely going to have to try that one. Now, the next subject will tie quite nicely into this one, seeing as how they are closely associated with each other. Kitsune are fox spirits, and so this is why there's connections to Inari Okami. In fact, Kitsune are messengers of Inari. Now, to say that they are spirits implies that they don't have a physical form, which is not at all the case. It's often believed that foxes, as they age, grow in power and become an entity of magic and wonder. Some stories claim that they gain this power at 50 years of age, while others are firm that a fox must attain a full century of life first. They're often depicted with multiple tails, so as a fox ages, they gain tails. The kitsune that are the messengers of Inari are white, solid white. Now with all of this, that does not mean that they always look like foxes, though. After all, foxes are often tricksters. There are many tales where one will appear as a lover to the protagonist of a story. Usually they are women. It's often believed that if you come across a lone woman in the night, she's probably a fox, so beware. These kitsune have a real love for sex with human men, regardless of their actual gender of the kitsune. They will transform into a beautiful woman and seduce men. If the hapless human discovers the truth, they return to their true form, or in some cases, it will be as though you wake from a dream, with the human awakening far from home. On a few occasions, a story tells of a kami giving birth to a human child, and this child would have magical powers. What a way to wake up, lost in a forest somewhere, and with a child that's a superhero. Now, not all of these kami stories involve magical foxes looking for a bit of strange on a dark evening. In most cases, the kitsune fall in love with their human lovers and become devoted wives to them. Again, the spell is broken if the human discovers the truth. To avoid this whole mess, many of these foxy foxes find it much easier to fall in love with their fellow kitsune. If you ever find yourself outside on a clear day and it begins to rain despite the sunny skies, you found yourself in a sun shower. In Japan, 
They're called Kitsune Weddings and are considered to be good fortune. Just don't stay in those celebratory rain showers for too long, as Kitsune newlyweds like to stick to a pretty strict guest list and will take out some revenge if an uninvited guest drops in on the reception. Abandoned homes are often uh, inhabited by one of these magical creatures. Try not to freak out if you see a fox inside an abandoned house. If you're respectful to them, they can use their powers to benefit us lovely humans. If you move into a house that is inhabited by one of them, they might give you gifts, but be careful, those gifts were probably stolen from your neighbor's house. See, they are tricky tricksters. They do like that fried tofu and sushi dish, so I'm going to be taking some and leaving it out so that these little sneaky messengers of Inari don't go sneaking away with my laptop to give it to the neighbors that are moving in just down the way. Well, that concludes this week's episode. Will you ever look at foxes the same way again? Or how about that lovely woman that you pass in the night? Could she be a trickster fox? Let me know by sending us a message here at historymostqueer at gmail.com. And you can come check out our Instagram page at historymostqueer. There you will find fun images of this week's queer kami. Tell your friends and family about this podcast and rate it on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever it is that you find your weekly queer history fix. I'm Julian Rushbrook, thanking you for listening and wishing all of you a happy week. Woo! <laughs>